Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I had some pizza last night, so I'm feeling pretty good this morning. It was a macaroni and cheese pizza, so it was carbs on top of carbs, and I'm feeling pretty energetic. I, uh, I realize um, as you get older how much of your personality, your character, and development as a human being is so constructed by your parents and how you grew up. My mom and dad were so fervent in teaching me principles and sticking to them. Uh, one of the principles that my dad taught to instill in me was humility. Um, I learned this principle of humility by just simply him teaching me and watching him lead by example. Uh, but I think my, my father taught me the greatest lesson in humility by putting me in basketball. I, uh, I, was not, I wasn't good at basketball. I wasn't fit for sports. Um, I'm an overthinker. And when you overthink when you're playing sports, you can think your way out of winning. And when I played basketball in middle school, I was on op- when I was on offense, I would purposefully hide behind the player that was defending against me so no one would pass me the ball. Um, I, I wasn't fitted for sports at all. It was like fitting a square block into a round hole. But I, I felt the pressure growing up, you know, being a normal boy, g- growing up and playing sports. But then in ninth grade, I accidentally found a better fitting for me uh, and that was music. Uh, my, my friends and I played Rock Band, which was like Guitar Hero. It was a video game that simulated different instruments. My, my friends covered the bass, the guitar, the drums, and I took the mic, and I found out that I could sing, kind of. And one day, we were all playing this simulated version of Rock Band, and we all looked at each other and thought, why don't we actually start a rock band, you know, with actual instruments. So we did. We, we got actual instruments. We played actual shows. And, and seriously, guys, you, you should have seen us. We got, so, we got so big in the city. We played in front of dozens of our family members. <laughs> and, and they were horribly proud as we played through the cringe. But God works in the cringe. So here we go. Um, my, my point is, is that I've, what I found, I found what I attached to most naturally. I wasn't a member of sports, I was a member of music. And the Bible talks about us being members of the body of Christ and each member having different functions from one another. And that we're not to think of ourselves more highly as he ought and how he has knitted us and wired us to operate in that specific functions. And we're going to dive into that more deeply today. So if you could open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. We'll be covering a large portion of this chapter on the nature that we are one body with many members. Paul talks about the first 11 verses of this chapter, about how all members of the body of Christ have been empowered with gifts and different functions, whether it be wisdom, service, healing, prophecy, administration, etc. All of these are empowered by one spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So with that context in mind, let's 
Read verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We will start going verse by verse. And we will start at verses 12 and 13. I will read that again. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Point one, as believers, we are one body with many members in Christ. So Paul is crafting an analogy of our relationship with Christ and with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are one body of believers, and each of us is a member of that body. And verse 13 states, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into into one body. So by God's grace, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and has faith in him, and has the same spirit, one spirit. And since we have one spirit, we have one body together. Paul adds this clarifier because, so, so Paul actually notes here that whether we are Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all of one spirit. And that's because back in the day, there were Jews that did not accept any nation or peoples outside of themselves that could actually be in a relationship with God or have the Holy Spirit. So when God has now instituted that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is for all peoples, all nations to the ends of the earth. So once we believed and are saved by God, we are united with one spirit and are a member of one body that is the body of Christ. So since we are individually united 
with Jesus Christ, we are also united for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And how far does this analogy take us? Let's, let's read on to verses 14 and 16. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Point two, every member has a different and glorious function. We see the analogy getting more detailed in Paul mentioning actual body parts, such as hands, ears, eyes. And what God is saying is that all members of the body of Christ are different members, thus have different functions. Some of us are an ear, a hand, And I, not literally, but all of us have different functions that make the body of Christ work together. For example, we have three pastors at Verical Church. Uh, We have Pastor Chris, Pastor Matt, myself, Pastor Garrett, and we are very different members of the body of Christ that have very different functions. Pastor Chris, to me, if we're uh, sticking with the eye, ear, and hand analogy, Pastor Chris to me is like an eye. He always has a clear vision of where he wants to go, and uh, Pastor Matt, to me, is like a, a hand. He, he gets in, and he does work, and he gets stuff done. He's one of the hardest-working people um, that I've ever met, and then meanwhile, Chris and Matt, to me, are like, Garrett, you're the appendix. We have no idea what you do. <laughs> But actually, if, if we're sticking with the eye, ear, and hand analogy, I actually kind of like it. Uh, so Chris is an eye. Uh, Matt is a hand. And I, I'd actually say I'm the ear. But my, my friends have always graciously encouraged me that I'm quick to listen and slow to speak. And I, I do like to make sure that everyone is heard. Now, if you just put uh, us three pastors together, you put an ear, a hand, and an eye together, we would make a weird-looking body. We would be like a Mr. Potato Head mismatch-looking body. So thank God that the church isn't made up of just pastors, right? It's made up of every differing member of the church, and we need everyone. We need everyone that God has arranged and chosen to make the body And if you are a member of the body of Christ, your function is not made by accident. And one member of the body should not wish that it was a different member of the body, right? Look at verse 16. It says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. Full transparency, I've thought this. I've thought this. If we were actually going to match the analogy from before of me being an ear and Chris being an eye and just replace the body parts with our names, uh, up on the screen it reads, and if Garrett should say, because I'm not Chris, I don't belong to the body. How many have thought like this before? You know, you think, because I don't have that person's gifts or function, I must not really be a part of the body If I were really belonging to the body, God would be using me like that person. If I were actually, if I actually believed in Christ, I would be better at evangelism like that person. 
If I were part of the body, I would be better at being organized and administrative like, like that person. If I were part of the body, I'd be performing all these miracles and, 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 and making disciples like, like this person. Listen, God made you, arranged you, chose you as a purposeful member of the body of Christ to have your specific function for his glory. We should not covet other members of the body or discount ourselves or think that we have to repurpose our function contrary to how we were knitted by God. The foot should not be discouraged that it does not function like the hand and discount itself as not a part of the body. Just like if a mother is giving, has given birth to a son and she says she doesn't feel like a mother, it doesn't make her any less of a mother. Just as it is with those who are in Jesus Just because if there are moments where we don't feel like we're part of the body of Christ doesn't mean or make us any less a part of the body. And we can't be a body if we're isolated to our singular membership. Look at verse 17. It says, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Imagine how creepy that would be if the whole body were an eye. Like it would just be like a giant pulsating eye. You'd go like, ugh, I'm I'm not going to that church. (laughs) You know, a, a giant eye or a giant ear that can't walk or move, but it's just collecting wax. Or a giant hand that's just sitting alone, solitary, waving. It can't do anything. This analogy makes us really realize our need for each other and that it is not a one-member show, but many members that make up one body. As verses 18 through 20 state, it says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So think about about this in the reality of our own church body. When you think about the plans and purposes of God, think about the people he's placed in your life and in the church. God has said in verse 18 that, notice the language, it says he's arranged and chosen the members of the body. So we believe that God has ranged and chosen every member of the body here at Vertical Church. The the member you're in ministry with or the member you're married to, the member that you're most pleased with or the member that you're most frustrated with is arranged. It's chosen. There are times when I think to myself, man, and ever so pridefully, man, I wish this person was more like me. I wish he was more of an ear But look at verse 19. It says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Which is basically saying, hey, if everyone in ears, if everyone was an ear, where the heck would the body be? You want a body full of ears? That that doesn't make sense. You need hands, you need eyes, you need pinky toes. Everything in arrangement to make the body function together. As God has designated many parts to one body, we need each member. We need each other. Let's look at verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
So just as we are not to discount ourselves as members of the body, we are called to not discount one another as members of the body. I want to make a pit stop in Romans 12. It'll be up on the screen here. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So point three, no one is to think highly of or boast in their gifts. Notice the theme that Paul uses here in Romans 12, that that God has assigned a measure of faith. Or having gifts that differ according by the grace given to us, right? Their assignments, their gifts. So our functions and gifts come from completely outside of us. Even the very nature of the word gift means that it's entirely outside of us. Each breath we take is a gift. You know, the the funny thing about boasting in our own works is that it really doesn't make sense considering that everything that we experience and receive comes from the Lord. Consider Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. But then look closely at this next verse. It says, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives himself, since he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every breath of oxygen we take is a gift. If we're without oxygen for a matter of minutes, we die. We can't even breathe without God's help. So how are we expect that? How do we expect that our gifts and functions are any different? From the breath that we, from the very breath that we draw, we can get silly as humans and get proud of our accomplishments, as though we're the the source of them. When in all reality, it is the Lord who provides the energy, the breath, the brain chemicals, and all of His will in which He works all of them together. Even the person who shouts, "God, I don't need you. I'm doing just fine on my own." is a lie in and of itself because God provided the very breath and life for that person to even utter those words. And we hit a new low as Christians when we look down on our brothers and sisters in Christ and think more highly of the gifts that we possess in which we did not contribute one molecule in obtaining The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
You know, imagine the silliness of the conversation between your head and your feet. Your head saying, I don't need you. And your feet responding like, really, dude? How are you going to get around? You, you need me to get around. And just as it is with us as members, we need Pastor Matt, we need Pastor Chris, we need all of, we need everyone, we need all of you. And no one th- should think of themselves more highly than they ought to think as each gift has been assigned by God. And here's where it gets more challenging in verse 22. Let's, re- let's, both, let's read both verses 21 and 22 together. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I believe this may be one of the most important parts of, of this passage. We do have, or have had, members that we personally are connected with that, as verse 22 says, seem to be weaker. The brother that may always be in crisis, uh, the sister that may always be sick, the member that's, that's peevish or gets annoyed or more angry more easily, a friend in Christ that might get on your nerves and and sometimes gets consumed with frustration. Someone that we may feel is totally dispensable, the Lord God being full of mercy and grace and how we should act calls them indispensable. Why? Let's look down at verses 22 through 24. It says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less on, are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable body parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Point four. The weaker the member, the greater the honor. I had a friend of mine growing up who had issues with his ankle for a couple of years. Um, It was always hurting. He was a runner, and it greatly frustrated him on how much it affected his run time and the pain that he had to endure. He would say, you know, if it weren't for my dang ankle, life would be great. But if you looked at his actions on how he treated his ankle, you wouldn't think that he hated his ankle. He would treat his ankle better than any other body part. He would would stretch it. He would put ice on it, take pain medication specifically for his ankle, He would wear special socks and shoes and make doctor's appointments so his ankle would be cared for. Every conversation that you would have with him within those couple of years, he would bring up his ankle. He would bring bring up like 
I'm still taking care of my ankle. It's still here. And after a while, you'd be like, bro, it seems like you're in love with your ankle by how much you talk about it and, and, and the time that you take to treat it, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. We show the seemingly weaker members of the body with greater care, honor, and treat them with greater modesty. Think about it. If someone's going to surgery for their back, and their family is waiting for the surgery to be done in the waiting room, and the doctor comes out to the family and says, good news, the surgery was a success. And the family rejoices. The family then rejoices over the part that needed the care. And they have a celebration for the part of the body that was weaker but now is restored. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like the prodigal son who is overjoyed of his son's return. That's how we're supposed to treat one another when we are weak. What makes the weaker parts of the body truly indispensable? Because treating the members with the greater care and the greater need displays the greater extent of God's mercy onto each of us. Consider this verse in Romans 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, when you see the word strong there, Think of it as a comparative human level, right? We are all, all of us, weak compared to the Lord, and we need his grace, his life, his breath, every moment of every day. But when the stronger members who are in a season of strength on a human level care for weaker members, we are being fulfilled as image bearers Because it is Jesus who is ultimately the strong one bearing with each of our failings. It's an opportunity for us as Christians to display the full love and mercy of God. And listen, we all, all of us, have seasons of weakness where we need greater care. I've been and will be again a weak member, a broken member, in which others have borne with my failings, my sins, my struggles. There have been months where I've felt like a puddle and felt like I couldn't get out of bed and I needed my brothers and sisters to instill me with gospel hope. We all have or will experience seasons where we are the weak members who need greater care and experience seasons of strength where we can show the love of Christ and give care to the members who are in a season of weakness. We have seas- when we have seasons of strength, we cannot sit idly by or ignore the members who need care, just like you wouldn't ignore your ankle that's in pain, as it states more clearly in verses 25 through 26. It says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you have a migraine, it's not just your head that's suffering, you're suffering. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. 
This also goes the other way. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. There's no room, no, zero, none, no room for any covetousness or envy in the body of Christ. There is no greater waste of time than being jealous of someone's honor or talents that the Lord has apportioned to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The head is not jealous of the feet when the feet are restored or accomplishes something that the head did not, right? How wrong would that conversation be? The feet are saying to the head like, hey, buddy, we're attached to the same person. We're going in the same direction. We're stuck together. And that person that we're all stuck to is Jesus Christ. As you look down in verse 27, this is the resounding conclusion, the reality that needs to stick with us. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Point five, Christ has no feet now but yours. You are the body of Christ. Our union with Jesus means that your acting as a member is his acting. Your function as a member of the body is him using you as his instrument to bring about his kingdom. You ever hear that saying, or maybe in a song, we are the hands and feet of Jesus? Jesus Jesus is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father and is our advocate, and he has a resurrected body, but from an earthly sense, we serve as the body of Christ. And just as attached and, un- and united as you are with Christ himself, so you are just as attached with your brothers and sisters who are attached with Christ. You cannot say, I love Christ, but not Christians. You cannot say, I'm united to Christ, but not to my brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 4.20 reads, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. When King Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, right, Saul, who persecuted and killed thousands of Christians, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul didn't directly attack Jesus in the flesh, but he may as well have because he attacked members of the body of Christ. Members that are so close that Jesus says, if you're assaulting them, you're assaulting me. You guys know a good brother or sister that stands up for their siblings and says, yo, if you mess with them, you're messing with me because we're family. Or maybe an imperfect a well-intentioned brother or sister that says, hey, you can't mess with them. Only I can mess with them because we're family. If you are in the family of God, you are in the body of Christ. I heard from someone uh, that vertical church was, was the cool church to go to and my, my stomach turned. I was like, oh. I was just like, we're not a church that's, that's trying to impress or be exclusive or be a club. 
We're not trying to be a, a corporation or cogs in a factory. We're trying to be members of a family. At Vertical Church, we say we are not like a family, but we are a family. The closest relationship you can have with another human being is being their sibling in Christ. If someone says that they are committed to Christ, but not to the body of Christ, that's an oxymoron, and it can't happen. If you call Christ your Lord and Savior, you are a member of the body of Christ with a unique gift and function that God delights to use you in, regardless of how you feel about your membership, because it doesn't make you any less a part of the body. When serving Jesus, it shouldn't be a pressure on anyone to fill a slot or a serving role, but for you to seek the Lord earnestly and engage your gifts with how he wired you. That's how I felt playing basketball. I thought, you know, because I was a, a boy, I had to be in sports and felt pressure to function in that way. But God wired me differently. So I want to ask you this same question. How has God formed you as a member of the body and what function has he called you to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve the lost who do not know Jesus, and ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ himself? We strive to be a family that is committed to Christ and committed to one another. And let's start by loving one another as a family and reaching the lost in our city. For our Lord Jesus has said, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Let's pray.